1: the podcast
0: welcome back everyone hello justin
1: how's it going Lindsay?
0: it's going okay i the movie that we chose this week really struck a chord with me in in particular so uh pretty stoked for this one
1: yeah our feature uh for this episode is better off dead which is such a strange weird unapologetically 80s film
0: (laughs) yes that it is and unique too for a teen comedy and uh Early, early
1: role by John Cusack. Probably one of his first big, I guess, like, being the
0: lead. hmm Pretty much the one that that set in motion future roles for him.
1: And one, I think, uh, in the top five that are most remembered roles that he's done in movies. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot to talk about with Better Off Dead. This uh, is another film, my my favorite thing to talk about, a first-time director, Savage Steve Holland. We're going to talk about the director, the cast... And we're going to talk about how this is sort of a very strange, offbeat, you know, sort of a romantic comedy. Definitely an absurdist comedy. You know, we'll get into it, but you kind of got to be on board for this sort of ridiculous humor. Otherwise, it's going to be hard to hang with this one.
0: As soon as you jump into it, you know that this isn't a normal comedy. This isn't just an easygoing thing. You're kind of, it's kind of wacky.
1: And we'll get into that. We'll get into the sort of strange humor that this movie has and how it works and didn't really work for a lot of audiences. Uh, this is, um, like so many movies we talk about here on the podcast, movies that are appreciated. Um, I feel like movies that have always been kind of appreciated, but just didn't quite hit, like hit it big. And now, you know, they have like a bigger following. Yeah. Um,
0: so we'll talk about a little bit how that happened, how this movie breaks down the teen experience too. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to uncover in this one. Yeah,
1: after we do our discussion on Better Off Dead, we'll hit up our picks of the week. Um, I stayed with Savage Steve Holland for one crazy summer, also starring John Cusack. It was a movie. These two movies were kind of filmed back to back.
0: Yeah, I think pretty much the day after this one premiered, I think is when they, yeah, started, they started shooting. Shooting, yeah. And my pick of the week, I went with. Um, a movie uh, starring our favorite French girl in Better Off Dead, Diane Franklin, and that movie is called Terror Vision. It is a sci-fi comedy. I'm curious to hear about this. <laughs> this is a movie
1: that I've never seen, but I like the image of the VHS box mm-hmm. kind of sitting on the shelf is like burned in my brain.
0: Yeah. And again, another thing along with Diane Franklin, it um along with Better Off Dead, if you if you don't like sci-fi comedy or horror comedy, it's, again, a movie that you need to be on board with as soon as you saddle up to watch it. Otherwise, you're just not going to not gonna be down. I fortunately do like sci-fi horror comedies. Yeah.
1: yeah, I don't mind a genre blend whatsoever. Well, as always, we'll round things out with our Murray moments. Um, but before we go into our first clip from Better Off Dead, as always, Lindsay, could you please give us a rundown on the plot, the story of this Really strange 80s film.
0: It's my favorite thing to do. Yeah, of course. Devastated after being dumped by his girlfriend for a bro-y, more popular jock type, Lane Meyer can't find a reason to live. And after multiple suicide attempts and through a budding friendship with a French exchange student neighbor named Monique, Lane decides he's still got a lot to live for. There are so many side characters in this movie and so many avenues where there's other stories going on that. And as we're watching this in the background, there's just too many good scenes in this movie. Um, There's a lot going on. But pretty much if we're going to look at this as a straightforward description of a plot, I'd say that that's what it would be.
1: No, it's good. Yeah, it's I mean, that's the there's not a really whole lot to the story itself.
0: There's a lot of skiing. Yeah, a lot of skiing. If you like skiing, this is a good, good movie for you. (laughs)
1: we'll go to our first clip from better off dead we'll come back we'll talk about it
0: in the meantime you're going to give me my two dollars i've got it right here
1: i say are you enjoying your stay in our town she doesn't speak english dad of course she does are you enjoying your stay it's no good al You
0: don't speak a word.
1: Wait a minute. I thought these foreign exchange students had to speak some amount of English to come over here. Well, as we're discovering around our household, you don't need words to speak the uh, international language. Right, Ricky? (laughs) Uh, The international language. (laughs) You
0: know. Love. The language of love. I think Monique and our little Ricky have a regular um,
1: cross-continental romance brewing here. Huh. Him? <gasps> mm-hmm. And her? Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
0: Pardon où sont les toilettes? What does that mean? S'il vous plaît. I think she wants to use a bathroom. It's down the hall. Second door. On the left, Bonique. <laughs> Jennifer, <clears throat> this is fabulous liqueur.
1: Reminds me of the moonshine Ricky's dead pappy used to make. <laughs> God bless him. Mrs. Smith, no, wait. <laughs> Gee, I'm real sorry your mom blew up, Ricky. The doctor said she'll be okay. I guess she just won't be able to eat any spicy foods for a while. <laughs> So first thing we wanted to talk a little bit about is how this movie was a little bit different than a lot of the 80s teen comedies that came out. A couple of the reviews I read of this, uh, especially the Oof, yeah. Siskel-Nieber review, where they kind of really bashed the movie, and they said it was just like a carbon copy of so many 80s teen comedies, which I, I just feel like it's anything but. Like yeah. I feel like this movie, if anything, um, approached things a little bit differently. And also, I mean, of course you've got some high school things in the movie. Yeah, you've
0: got the jock, the pretty girl, the, you know, stoner type. But but. at the
1: same time, they don't break those groups up so much. Like, the focus is a little bit different in this movie. It's not so much, like, uh, where they set up, like, here's the jocks, here's the Mm -hmm. nerds, here's, you know. Um, Also, too, like, it's, um, the backdrop of this is, like, skiing, which is already (laughs) kind of, like, you know a little bit different and offbeat that's the big sport that people really you know uh, in
0: the 80s apparently that was like the the thing to do was but what's yeah because <laughs> normally it's like football or something you
1: know it's like yeah. the football team basketball team and also too uh the lead character is not necessarily like the he's not like a big nerd you know he starts the movie off and I think that John Cusack this was start of his career in playing those characters where he's not the main character who's like the nerd trying to get in with the in crowd. He's sort of, you know, somewhere in between, you know, he's not like a nerd, but he's not like the coolest guy in school. Yeah. He's good looking, but he's not like a jock. And, you know, the movie opens, he's dating one of the most, yeah you know, popular attractive girls in school. Of course he loses her. And the whole movie him learning about himself, trying to win her back. But we follow a character who's not this like, hopeless, like, oh, I'm never going to find a girlfriend kind of character, which is usually, I think, like with 80s movies, like the focus is on that male character who is like fantasizing about like dating the best looking girl in school and goes through some fumbles or whatever goofiness of a plot. And this, I I feel like, shies away from that. We already start from a place that's different than a lot of 80s comedies.
0: And even though, you know, he goes through this entire movie heartbroken and like you said he's learning about himself the girl that he starts falling for is the exchange student next door um but even with that it isn't this immediate like she's just replaced beth the girl that that dumps lane it like they become friends and that's i think is an additional you know, thing where typical tropes are played on in this movie, but there's a twist on them, and it makes them a little bit fresher. And yeah, I remember thinking the same thing with the Siskel and Ebert review because they were so, they were so mean about it. And I, I, I do feel like this humor is super weird, and the twists that are on the usual tropes you're not necessarily expecting, or they're just a little bit more developed than like a superficial just dressing someone up like a nerd and you know being a superficial background character there's more to all of the background characters here
1: i guess to start with the the tone of the movie and the like we said this sort of absurdist humor i can't see how that would rub people the wrong way it's certainly a movie this is certainly a movie you know i kind of got to be in the mood for it's sort of in the same vein of like kind of airplane or naked gun. But the setups are a little bit different, Better Off Dead. They're almost like more random. For instance, his parent, his family dresses up and leaves like full on reindeer.
0: For Christmas? <laughs> for Christmas, <Yeah>. like
1: outfits. <laughs> and then the neighbor's wearing one too. You know, that sort of yeah. goofiness, like the setups aren't like delivering this big joke, but everything that happens is kind of absurd and just like totally off the wall and zany. Even the fact that we have John Cusack's character Lane, Trying to kill himself like about every.
0: I think it happens like four times. Yeah. Yeah.
1: These failed attempts at suicide, but this sort of like dark humor that's running through the movie. I mean, it's like very, very black comedy for uh, a PG teen comedy from the 80s.
0: And when, I think when you can, depending on the type of person that you are, if you're feeling, you know, kind of bummed out or or maybe you have your heart broken, sometimes it's easy to gravitate towards movies where you can identify with a character that's maybe going through the same thing. And sometimes those movies can be super irritating. I think the black comedy aspect of this makes it... Like, I was feeling kind of bummed out this week, honestly. And I was worried that I wasn't going to feel like watching this over and over again. But the more that I did, the more it, like... I didn't want to laugh, and there were certain moments that it just made me, like, I couldn't help but laugh, even though I was not in the best of moods, you know? Yeah. Like, the the black comedy aspect of this is, I think it could be, this movie could be a lot darker. It is not your typical teen comedy.
1: Yeah, and, and another thing to sort of, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we're trying to defend the movie <laughs> yeah. uh, against critics saying that it's, you know, just another teen comedy, but another thing that it does, I think, that's atypical is the movie does a good job of like showing how something like a breakup when you're a teenager is like yeah. the end of the world. And it's kind of showing this sort of satirized version of that. But what I love about that is it, it takes that aspect of what most teen comedies do where, you know, it's like the end of the world, like mm-hmm. your boyfriend, your girlfriend or whoever breaks yeah. up with you. Instead of making the character kind of annoying and like,
0: Sappy overt, and, yeah, like, Or whiny. like over,
1: yeah, whiny, like, yeah. oh, my God, this is the worst. They just kind of do these scenes <laughs> of like, you know, ridiculousness. And I think it, you know, and it keeps uh John Cusack's character like sort of even keel. Mm-hmm. You know, he's this sort of like mellow. He's not annoying, but his actions are representing this sort of like overblown, yeah. you know, rationalization of like how to deal with a situation of like someone breaking up with you. And I think that's the great thing about this movie is, like, we don't really have annoying characters. Mm -hmm. We have situations that, you know, that show the exploits or the feelings of the characters. And I think that's a really clever thing to do. You know, I think it's a really great way to kind of show how this moment in time, like high school it seems like the the most important thing in the world. Like oh, everything yeah. is so crucial, you know, but then when you look on it in retrospect, you know, it's just like, oh gosh, that was just one year of my life or two years whatever.
0: But that's the beautiful thing about it is because when you're that young, you don't really have the ability to see beyond. And this puts it, puts all of those awful thoughts that maybe you had in high school and like, you see it, you see it in this movie. And even down to the weird neurotic moments of, like, um, there's a scene where it shows when Beth, the girl that dumps Lane, when, when they first met, and there's this weird neurotic inner monologue where we hear what each one of them is, like, thinking, and in that scene, it, it, the scene is basically, like, she touches her nose, and he's like, oh, is there something in my nose? And then he touches his nose. It just goes back and forth in this, like, neurotic exchange, and it's really funny, but Those things we do, those things, and especially in high school, this movie takes the inner thoughts and puts it on screen, and and you can really tell that this is pretty much for the most part a a true story to come out of Savage Steve Holland's life.
1: Yeah, and I and I love just that scene you're talking about. Like, seems like very much out of left field, but it's like probably you know as the movie progresses, it gets more and more like they'll just take a left turn yeah to to do like an animated sequence or like you know go totally totally crazy like just unrealistic yeah um but that's what I love I mean I to me it's like it keeps the movie interesting yeah you know and and sure the jokes don't always land 100% but to me the movie's not just so much about setting up and doing jokes it's it's almost like if you're like a fan of uh, Tim and Eric or that sort of, you know, Mr. Show, this sort of like absurdist humor. I think this is- Totally outlandish. You know, r- very, yeah, like that sort of territory.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I just keep thinking of multiple times where, you know, you mentioned animation, like the scene where he's sketching in, in the lunchroom and he's like making this like drawing of Beth and her new boyfriend as a monster. And he's making himself laugh because he's animating- in his mind what's what's happening in there. And these are the things that you think about. And like these weird inner thoughts that we all have. And especially in high school, when your hormones are all over the place and you're, you know, just you were a, a, a bag of emotions. Um, and I think this movie illustrates that perfectly. All right. You're talking a little bit about Savage Steve. Uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of go back to him before we
1: go to yeah. our next clip. Yeah. Um, just cause you know, again, this is uh, I always love, the the first time writer director like mm-hmm. those movies always seem to be the most especially for a writer first movie movie debuts usually seem to be the most personal tales a lot of times yep. and this certainly you know was one of them
0: so how this movie came to be since we know it's a true story was actually um if you're familiar with Henry Winkler he was kind of the person that that helped Holland get this off the ground so Henry Winkler who's I mean, he's known now for a lot of different things, but I think historically is known as the Fonz from Happy Days. Anyway, he saw a short film of Savage Steve Hollands called My 11-Year-Old Birthday, and the story was a really sad subject matter of, of no one showing up to his birthday party except a drunk clown, and Henry Winkler thought it was a hilarious story, and Steve Hollands like, um, it, I didn't really look at it as a comedy, and... Henry Winkler said, well, do you have any more stories in the vault that are depressing from your childhood? And Savage Steve Allen's like, yeah, totally. So if you can believe it, like he, Winkler just had faith in this guy, this no name writer, you know, he had made short films, plenty of short films that had been in film festivals before, but he wasn't a name, but he set him up, this 23 year old, he just set him up when a small office at Paramount and he cranked out better off dead. And it's kind of incredible, really. I mean, you never I can't imagine that happening today. I can definitely not imagine this movie ever happening in 2020, but that situation where just I mean this really well-known actor uh, producer like just Yeah. says I, I I've got faith in you write this script, you know. I could
1: see like something like this like going to Netflix or something, but it's wild to mm. believe that You know, this was a full blown like big studio not big money, but a big a big studio production. Yeah. With, you know, a name actor and uh was released in theaters.
0: Yeah. And the this guy was was a nobody and they said, Okay, you've got the script, great. Can you do it with three million dollars? And Savage Steve Holland, I think, was kind of just flabbergasted by the whole thing and was like, Yeah, I can make anything happen. Are you kidding? So this might have been his first feature film, but it's not like he hadn't been making movies before. So he was familiar with how things were set up, but pretty much all of that was on a much smaller scale than what a feature film studio picture is. But with that, you have an entire crew of people that are making this movie happen. So I think in his eyes, it was more just like, oh my God, I've got all these people helping me instead of three of my friends. So I think that the way that this movie came about is... So, kind of perfect for someone who. I mean, the story is about him having his heart broken, and it's a sad story. And I think the end result being that Savage Steve Holland comes out on top, and like this, this is the movie that started his career. And yes, it was a flop at the box office, but I think the longevity of it and the has become a cult movie. I think that that I mean that's incredible.
1: Yeah, I mean the whole the whole it's like a one of those just like great indie success stories of of a studio and someone taking a chance on a young, fresh voice and and that movie being able to get made and even though it wasn't a huge hit, it's still cool that this this movie exists and existed during that time.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, we'll go to another clip from Better Off Dead. We'll come back. We'll talk about the cast. We'll talk a little bit more about. Um, the making of the movie.
0: I'm telling you, Lane, practically everybody in the state of Northern California is around this particular mountain waiting to see one Lane Meyer tackle this totally untamed slope, dead or alive. So get the lead out. That is all.
1: Well, I guess this is it. Please hurry. We have unfinished business. Do not forget. Huh?
0: Language lessons.
1: What, Are you going to teach me French?
0: The international language.
1: Kiki's ass. So this is one of those movies where the main focus is on the, you know, a comedy where we're centered on one character and he's in most of the scenes, but he interacts with like so many different people. And they do a lot of jokes where different people are asking Lane if they can date his girlfriend now that he <laughs> heard they broke up. It's like this running jokes. So is like a, his science teacher asks him, the pizza guy asks him, you know, the mailman.
0: Yeah. And even Barney Rubble on the Flintstones on, on TV asks him. <laughs>
1: And so there, there's a lot of little bit parts in this, and I think with comedies, you know, you need to have your your side characters, your your little bit parts equally funny, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a nice little cast of people that pop up that I, I think turn in some nice little comedic bits. Um, we've got, uh, well, and he's got like a little bit bigger part. Curtis Armstrong plays uh, Lane's best friend, and you might know him from his booger in. Revenge of the Nerds, and mm-hmm. then he turns up in uh, my pick of the week, One Crazy Summer.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, I love when Booger shows up in things. I love that actor. He's pretty silly and, and quirky. We would be very remiss if we didn't bring up Amanda Wiss, was Tina from A Nightmare on Elm Street. She plays Beth, the love interest of Lane. Her character is, is not hateable, but you don't really like her because she's really dismissive of Lane, but... Amanda Wis is always great in in anything that she is and Diane Franklin who plays the Frenchie next door is adorable. One thing I found out in doing research on this is because you immediately notice her incredibly thick French accent. And I mean I don't I don't know. I've never been to France. I don't I know what interpretations are and what I've heard of French actors, but I thought her accent was spot on, and as it turns out, um, she has always been really knowledgeable about linguistics. And her parents, I, I think, are from Germany, so it's something that she was um, conditioned to knowing.
1: It definitely sounds much, even if it's not totally a hundred percent. It it sounds better for an '80s movie, mm-hmm. not being like just outright <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> offensive for yeah. like someone doing an accent of like yeah. you know. Uh, It's it's pretty surprising. Yeah,
0: I think Savage Steve Holland asked if she could have a little bit of a lisp in that too. So that's why it's a little... I think the accent was too hard to understand a little bit. So he said, add a lisp in there. It sounds pretty good. It sounds great to me. It doesn't sound like a parody. That's what I mean of of a French person.
1: Two notable actors uh, that played Lane's parents. The mom played by Kim Darby who... If you're a big fan of westerns, if you've seen the original True Grit with John Wayne, she plays the the lead in that, and is really great performance by a like a kid actor. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, you know, playing the mom, and I think does a really good job of sort of this spacey, so weird, sort of out there mom <laughs> who you know is kind of in her own world and is not realizing the trouble that her sons,
0: no, you know, dealing with <laughs> the scene where she gives for Christmas, she gives. Um, a bunch of TV dinners. That scene seems so bizarre and so weird, but like so many things in this movie, that actually really happened. Um, Savage Steve Holland's mom gave him a bunch of TV dinners for Christmas one year.
1: And I and I I always think that this uh,
0: it might have been his birthday. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Anyway, it really happened.
1: But I like the the to, to me I think this movie again like with the satire it sat it does a good job of showing this sort of two different worlds when you're a teenager every day that you're de- you know dealing with your friends or dealing with school your parents are on a different plane because they've been sort of operating very day-to-day same schedule yeah. you know they get the kids to school they get up they get breakfast made they go to work whatever and I think that this movie does a really good job of showing the disconnected, the two completely different worlds <laughs> that the teenagers and the parents live in yeah and how opposite they are and they don't it's hard for them to even like relate to what's going on in each other's worlds,
0: and that couldn't be better illustrated than in the scene where uh, Lane's dad, played by David Ogden Steers, is reading a book on how to communicate with his teenage son and using all of the like improper lingo. I mean, it's pretty cute because it seems like you know parents are trying as best as they can, kids are trying as best as they can, but they're just not connecting.
1: And maybe the most recognizable face in the cast, uh, at least at the time when this movie came out, was uh, David Ogden Steers, who plays Lane's dad. Uh, He was on MASH. He played uh, Major Charles Winchester, I think, for the entirety of its run. Maybe not a name you'd recognize, but certainly a face that's recognizable. And I think he adds a lot to this movie. I think the parents are, they really, it's it's a great, they cast the, the movie really well, like they don't just seem like cartoon characters there's no so among one of the more outlandish things in better off dead are these two japanese brothers (laughs) uh the re brothers (laughs) who are always pulling up alongside lane when he's in his car and they want to race him and one of the brothers doesn't speak english and the other brother has only learned english by listening to howard cosell and so uh the actual uh He's a
0: sports announcer with the wide world of sports.
1: Yeah, like very famous at the time, you know, very recognizable voice. And uh, Yui Akimoto, who plays the brother who does the Howard Cosell voice, um, actually did the voice and did the impression. But they, I guess, eventually end up using uh, the really famous comedian Rich Little to overdub it with him his impression of Howard Cosell. And the thing, yeah, it does suck (laughs) for him, but but. man it is a it's 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 such a strange thing the first time it happens you kind of just got to like wrap your mind around it like wait what is happening yeah as they go further on into it you know this happens like two or three times um I think it's like a nice addition to the story like this just because it is just it's so random I mean that's the thing but somehow it works it fits in it's this is the only movie where it could fit into something like that Mm because there's things that happen that are just kind of like you just accept it because it's (laughs) so bizarre
0: yeah yeah um two other th- side characters um the mom and son duo of Laura Waterby and Dan Schneider who actually went on for like a huge career in behind the scenes um in a uh, Nickelodeon as far as being a producer
1: yeah yeah, yeah. For, for a lot of big Nickelodeon for a lot of big shows, shows
0: on Nickelodeon um but those two, are such a gross mother son neighbor duo of lanes and they're the one that the uh exchange student lives with it's just a really gross like overbearing mother and like a dorky oversexed like
1: just it's a very john waters-esque yeah it's like like the the pg pg john waters is
0: what they are um but yeah th- they add a lot to that story of course and i don't ever really like want to smack a nerd but man i want to smack him real hard for him like just kind of not font- not fondling but him ogling the exchange student yeah and vincent Schiavelli, just to kind of round out here he's he's the teacher that also perves out on beth and the scene that we see where he's teaching a class and all of the kids are so enthused about this math class I I don't get where it comes from I know there's got to be something there like I'm sure that this probably happened to Savage Steve Holland like someone loved this guy's math class but it's <laughs> it's so bizarre
1: so, so I sort of took it again <laughs> as like this sort of like satire you know it's like the reverse of what we normally what you see expect. you know we yeah. normally see the the kid half asleep and you know someone's not enough in class, and the the teachers, you know, it's like
0: an emphasis on
1: how yeah. boring it is. And this, this is, the is sort of like of the reverse of that. Yeah. Um.
0: And then I I think kind of maybe to close, there there are a lot of faces in this movie that you'll recognize from movies to come and move and movies that were prior to this. Um. But just to kind of round out something that has been stuck in my head for so long now is E.G. Daily song. One Way Love, you might just call Better Off Dead. It's the title song of the movie. Um, but E.G. Daly, who is a performer, st- a voice actor. You've heard her in countless things. But E.G. Daly's performance at, it's like a New Year's Eve dance. you got to love that scene. And I've been trying to find anywhere except YouTube to download that song because it, it is just such my head. a great song. Head. It's yeah. a great, great song. Her dress is, seems a little, like she felt awkward in it. Yeah. But, gotta love E.G. Daily.
1: And you might, know her face most famously from as Dottie Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah. And who else do we is that, does that round out the? Yeah, it's pretty much that's everybody in the, the I mean, main main cast.
0: Yeah, main cast that we that we see more more than most. I mean, if you want to talk about you know Damian Slade, who's the, paper boy, little evil child. <laughs> That guy.
1: Was he in anything else after Better Off Dead? Um,
0: his face is slightly familiar to me, but like, I it feels like it would have been maybe TV or something like that. But no, I, I don't recall. I think an episode of The Wonder Years. But a lot of these people, um, Aaron Dozer, who plays the bully, the jock. Oh, yeah. Um, he just did one other movie, actually, the, the, the same year, but didn't really go on to much else.
1: I liked it, uh... Savage Steve Holland used John Cusack and Curtis Armstrong again for his next movie. Yeah, Uh, he
0: really fought for John Cusack for this one because at the time he had just done the sure thing and Savage Steve Holland really loved him in that, but he wasn't... Paramount didn't think that he could really head a movie, like really lead a movie. Didn't
1: they think too he was going to be too nerdy for the Mm -hmm. character of Lane?
0: Yeah. I don't want to say you know anyone's responsible for anything, but... Dang, dude. I have somebody fight for you, and then you go on and you just like keep doing movies one right after another. Yeah. And One Crazy Summer performed better at the box office than Better Off Dead, but again, is a movie that went on to have a cult following.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of One Crazy Summer, let's stop there. Let's talk about our picks of the week.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: we'll, we'll come back to a little more Better Off Dead talk at the end here. So, you want to kick this off? I want to hear about Terror Vision. This is a movie I'm not familiar with uh, outside of, like I said, seeing the VHS box in the video stores when I was younger.
0: All right, let's just get this out of the way. Terror Vision is not an Oscar-winning movie, but if you've ever found yourself in love with a movie that you know is like kind of bad, yet you can't help but see it through, and then you find yourself talking about it and wanting to show it to a friend, explaining to them, okay, this movie is bad, but you've got to see it, then Terror Vision is for you. Let's get another thing straight. This movie knows that it is pure camp. Horror movies of all kinds, all genres, whenever they go for humor, this can sometimes fall flat. Not everyone likes these movies. Maybe you're one of those. I am definitely not. If you like sci-fi horror movies, then you won't be able to look away from Terror Vision. From the minds of director and writer Ted Nicolau, along with uh, Robert and Charles Band, and a score composed by Richard Band, it's really no wonder that this film is as off the rails as it is. Nicolau did sound for uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which we've done an episode on, and both Charles and Richard Band are associated with Reanimator, which is another episode that we've done. So just by association, we know this one is going to be an oddball movie. Terrorvision is this, for one reason or another, a trash heap, grotesque, slimy-looking pet alien monster. Think something similar to a three-eyed version of Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. That's closest thing I can think of. Um, This thing gets shot from outer space into a cable satellite dish on earth and lands directly into the suburban home of the Puttermans. And Mr. Putterman, you know, he's just trying to save a buck uh, getting the cheapest satellite, installing it himself, but little does he know that it would attract a monster from outer space with his shoddy way of attempting to set it up. There are some familiar faces um, in this movie for the time. Uh, Maybe some of you might recognize Garrett Graham, who plays Mr. Putterman, as uh, Bud the Chud in Bud 2. I know I do. What brought me to Terror Vision, like I said before, um, and who's actually top build, are, are Frenchie Next Door and Better Off Dead, Diane Franklin. She plays Susie, the over-the-top, far-out, MTV-loving, teenage version of Cindy Lauper sister, um, to a baby-faced Chad Allen, who I'm sure some of you might recognize as an adult. And, of course, the kid character that Chad Allen plays in true 80s form is the only person that's fighting the monster the entire movie. Leave it up to the kiddo to save the day, am I right? Man, the 80s just really empowered kids and made them feel like they could save the world. Another face you may recognize is the hilariously bad, wig-wearing, metalhead boyfriend of Susie named O.D., played by John Grise, who is most familiar, I think, now to people from Napoleon Dynamite, or maybe um, even as the Wolfman in Monster Squad. The ex-vet Grandpa is worthy of more than a few chuckles, as is the parody of Elvira, a character named Medusa. She's a TV horror hostess who the Putterman kids call to help get the monster on TV because that's their that's how they that's their ticket <laughs> that's the first thing I would do if I had a monster in my house but probably my favorite is Mrs. Putterman played by Mary Waranov, who she was one of Andy Warhol's girls back in the day and went on to be uh, like this beloved face in cult movies like in Night of the Comet chopping mall my favorite trauma movie sugar cookies and countless other culty-type movies. You know her face if you if you like cult movies. Her sultry, commanding voice, willingness to put it all out there, and Cheese Factor are enough to make me watch anything with her in it. I am leaving out this entire bizarre subplot of like while the monster is in the house and little Chad Allen is hunting it down grandpa's been absorbed by the monster another space alien is sending television communications down to the Putterman satellite warning them about this gross trash beast in their house all while this is going on Mr. and Mrs. Putterman have brought another couple into the house and can't stop talking about how they're going to have this sexy swinging night with them Like, this movie is just out there and is a constant reminder of why these weird, low-budget, off-the-wall cult movies are such fun to watch. As for effects go, there were better practical monster effects at that time in the 80s, but it is some real great, totally passable, slimy goodness in Terror Vision. Pretty much this toad, froggy, trash monster doesn't move. It's very stationary. Um, But it is large enough to make me want to run out of the room if I were to come across that thing, I tell you. So like Pizza the Hut, think that, but also maybe cross it with Chet at the end of Weird Science. I feel like this monster could be their cousin. There's a tiny bit of commentary on sensationalism and our dependency on TV gratification, like a lot of TV rots your brains, kid. It's not very deep, but there are a few good shots taken at society. Like, for example, the alien who's broadcasting to the Putterman's television and warning them about this monster in their home says that the only way to save Earth is for all of the TVs across the country to be shut off for the next 200 years. And the very final scene, the person who escapes and is now half-monster and headed to a TV station like that in and of itself is is saying something. Aside from the complete absurdity of this film, Richard Band's score uh, is awesome, just like it is in in Reanimator. Um, he's kind of paired along with this arty rock band that I had never heard of before this movie, but it's like real weird and kind of creepy. A little B fifty two sound, and that band was called the Fibonacci's. And if you're curious like I was, the soundtrack is actually available on Spotify and is totally wacky all over the place, filled with as many ups and downs as a Mr. Bungle album. And since I've been watching nothing but Better Off Dead and Terror Vision lately, these movies theme songs are just stuck in my head and I am not mad about it still, like weeks later, still not mad about it. So I'm telling you guys, this movie is out there, but if you're into that kind of thing, check out terror vision um it's periodically available on prime it's not right now as of this broadcast but i've seen it on there more than a few times it's uh it's worthy
1: <laughs> you know i'm a big sucker for a good catchy theme song <sighs> terror
0: vision. it's pretty good i'll have to look that up tell me about this uh john cusack joel murray Classic here.
1: So, One Crazy Summer. This movie, uh, like we said, started filming uh, right, I think it was like the day after they debuted, Better Off Dead. Again, starring uh, John Cusack... Uh, This one is, has a, it's not so much a black comedy as there's just a lot of comedic gags in this movie. Um, But this one, uh, there is the same uh, sort of use of animation, animated scenes. Uh, John Cusack plays a recent graduate from high school, Hoops McCann, to his parents' dismay did not get a basketball scholarship. He really wants to go to art school or art college and become an illustrator. So there's a lot of use of him working on his drawings. There's some animation throughout the movie, very similar to what we saw in Better Off Dead. So he is planning on just working and having a ho-hum summer, but his friend George, played by Joel Murray, uh, convinces him to go to Nantucket with him and his younger sister, where they have a place to stay, and uh, you know they can spend the the summer cruising for chicks. Turns out, uh, wackiness ensues. Uh, there's a lot of kind of hijinks that happen early on in this. Uh, and it's, it's, again, it's like that sort of ridiculousness that Steve Holland is known for where you're, you just got to kind of be on, on board with it. Otherwise it's just not a movie that you're probably going to be able to hang with. So, you know, the, on their way to Nantucket, they meet up with a singer played by er, early role by Demi Moore. Once they get to Nantucket, we're introduced to, uh, Joe Murray's friends, played by uh, Bobcat Goldway and Tom Villard, they play twin brothers that don't really look alike. They, they work for a tow, towing company. Um, once everybody uh, meets in Nantucket, there's sort of this, I, I guess it's a satire of you know working class versus the rich. The rich guys you know, are driving Ferraris, and they have names like Clay and Cookie, and they sort of battle each other. And um, but John Cusack is his character is lured in by the the girlfriend of the rich guy, you know, and tries to go out on a date with her and blows off Demi Moore, who you know he has a real shot with the, of having a relationship with. But eventually they they help each other out and like a very '80s movie, the whole thing ends with they have to get a boat ready for a, a race for a regatta so that they can win money to save her family's uh, property by, by so it doesn't get developed by, you know, the rich rich uh, land developers. Very much like Better Off Dead where they have the montage of them building the Camaro. Um, this is them fixing up a, a beat-up boat, and, and within a, a matter of a, a three-minute pop song, they're able to turn this uh, heap of, of junk into, like, a shiny, almost brand-new boat. And the same with Better Off Dead. They, they have a race and lead off into victory. It's one of those movies that's like, to me, this is a— A perfect Saturday or Sunday afternoon movie especially during the summertime it's just it's a fun goofy ridiculous film with a lot of I think funny gags and a lot of good like comedic performances by uh, a great cast of, of you know small parts
0: yeah I think all of the comedians in this are so solid on their own and have been around I mean they they're 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 still around today they've had long lasting careers you know because of movies like this where their talents uh first were shown it's pretty cool i like this movie
1: yeah it's it's kind of like it's it kind of meanders but it's at the same time it's it's fun and and again it's i I like that um uh, i failed to mention curtis armstrong plays a guy who's also friends with the joel murray character whose father uh you know wants him to join the army and he you know he doesn't want to do that so and that his dad played by joe flaherty also gives in a, a funny little comedic performance um mm-hmm. but i love the pairing of of him you know we've got like the the better off dead reunion
0: totally i definitely agree with you on the saturday or sunday afternoon movie perfect for that
1: so those are picks of the week uh, one crazy summer and terror vision which i <laughs> i need to check out I haven't seen that one yet.
0: Yeah, if you have one crazy summer, do you? I do. Yeah, I, I'd like to borrow that. Yeah, I'll loan yeah. it to you. It's been it's been a hot second since I've seen it. I did watch uh, how I got into college, the oh, other yeah, yeah, Savage yeah, Steve Holland movie. I really liked that. Yeah, it's uh, you know so it's it was cute. It was sweet.
1: And supposedly, uh, it was one of those movies where the director got fired five days mm-hmm. in, and Savage Steve Holland got hired to kind of pick pick it up. And I wonder if he added some of his flair to it because it does have those weird little yeah. zany things. So I wonder if he changed some things along the way. I don't know too much about the behind the scenes of that movie, but it is a you know it's a fun little movie. I don't like it as much as Better Off Dead or One Crazy Summer. but
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with you too. But I did think that it was not your average going to college movie at all. Yeah, not so at all. Yeah. I, I thought that was... Uh, that was that was a nice change.
1: Fun early Phil Hartman role too.
0: Oh yeah, it was. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, uh, check those out. Um, let's keep on moving. Here's your Murray moment.
0: Chicks dig me
1: because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do,
0: it's usually something unusual. I think I
1: need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow working. You're gonna come
0: and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even show. Hmm, my a this is so stumptuous. Is this hand shot? The
1: flowing robes the grace, all striking. <sighs> that was fun.
0: feel like I've been going for some unexpected Murray moments the past few episodes. So in thinking about Billy and us talking about a John Cusack movie, I thought it was time to bring up this huge thing that these two guys have in common. So of course, I'm talking about the most famous underdogs who made so many dreams come true. And that's Wrigley Field's own the Chicago Cubs. There are a ton of people out there, famous or not, who believed that one day, the Cubs would finally take the World Series. And in 2016, it finally happened. It's hard for people who have normal sports relationships with teams to understand. Cusack said uh, post-Cubs World Series win. Rooting for a team that's never won in your lifetime, your father's lifetime, it's just different. It's not a normal sports fan's relationship. And if you saw Game 7 like I did, man... It was impossible to not feel some sense of relief. The unbelievable happiness, giddiness, feeling like the impossible could come true, that everything was right in the world at that moment. All Cubs fans, not just celebrities like Billy and Cusack, but anyone who has ever wanted to believe the impossible was possible, they all just became one community that night. It was really magic. I know I had tears in my eyes for quite a little while that evening. Billy, of course, was at all of the World Series games against the Cleveland Indians. And it was certainly a battle. All seven games of the series were exhausted. And normal baseball games have their tense moments, especially towards the end, obviously. But this one was a real barn burner. The Cubs started out in the lead, but the Indians came back to tie it up. And to make the tension amp up even further, there was a 17-minute rain delay. Like, seriously? Game 7 has a rain delay? Billy's heart is pounding out of his chest, along with his son Luke, who is next to him. One Cubs player was overheard saying, I'm an emotional wreck, only to have his teammate reply, and it's only going to get worse. The Indians tying it up took the game into an extra 10th inning. And in that moment, when first baseman Anthony Rizzo made the final out of the game, shoving that ball into his back pocket, Billy's arm shot straight up in the air, along with everyone else in the stadium. The look on that man's face said it all. It epitomized everything that every single Cubs fan was feeling. And every media outlet also had a camera on Billy. I think my favorite um, part of that, of, of Billy's experience, was... Right when they won, Luke, his son, hugs him and looking totally amazed, he you see him say, we won. We won. But not screaming it like more like he was stunned. It really was a beautiful moment. And this Cubs World Series win ended the 108-year drought for the team. Luke, Billy, Cusack, every single Cubs fan was filled with so much emotion. I mean, what do you even say other than everyone's hearts were just filled with pure joy. Sorry, Clevelanders. After the Cubs won the National League Division Series, John Cusack tweeted a brief video interview that Billy gave NBC, which perfectly summed up how every Cubs fan was feeling about their team going to the World Series. It just felt like the whole building, the whole room, just this relief and sense of wonder that it was really happening. I just felt for every Cub fan, everyone in Chicago that's been waiting, all over the world that have been waiting for this moment, some sort of prayer is being answered, some sort of ideal moment that people would love to have that they think would really fill their lives up was happening. It's exciting. If you don't know what it's like to wait your entire life for the team you root for to win... I can't explain it. I watch these people in SportsCenter talk about it. They, They don't know. They're not even close. They don't get it at all. They have no idea. They say stuff like, well, the last time they won was before television. Well, okay, sort of. Yeah, that's one aspect. But to root for a team that's never won, it's just character building. After that World Series win, you better believe that Billy was in the locker room with all the Cubs players. I've been waiting for this moment for such a long time, he said, after getting sprayed with champagne. And, of course, the streets of Chicago blew up that night, absolutely erupting in gleeful chaos. And in researching all of this, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is one of the better-known Murray moments and moments uh, in Bill Murray's life. Um, I did come across this story that I had always wondered about, and I can't believe that I actually found a quote from him talking about it. Um, So this uh, was a little thing that I found about the first time that Billy went to Wrigley Field. The first time I went to Wrigley Field in Chicago I was a big Cubs fan and I watched all the games on TV but when I grew up TV was in black and white so when I was seven years old I was taken to my first Cubs game and my brother Brian said wait Billy and he put his hands over my eyes and walked me up the stairs then he took his hands away and there was Wrigley Field in green there was this beautiful grass and this beautiful ivy I'd only seen it in black and white. It was like a blind man being made to see. It was really something. That moment, finding that, really kind of got me choked up. But, you know, in talking about the Cubs, I kind of felt like including that, just to wrap this, uh, wrap this moment up for he and John Cusack.
1: I'm never too often jealous of, of Chicago, but, there, you know, there's always this sort of, like, Chicago-St. Louis rivalry that we have here, just a little bit, you know, because yeah. Chicago is the bigger city, but yeah. um, I do get jealous when I think of how much Bill Murray loves Chicago and how it's, like, <laughs> such a part of, it's, like, ingrained, like, he loves the city, he loves the baseball team,
0: yeah.
1: and, uh, you know, it's cool that they have, like, such an iconic character that's, like all about the city you
0: know oh my god yeah when i when i lived in chicago was it crash here bill murray what was it called uh where people were putting up signs telling outside their apartment saying bill murray uh, like yeah. crash here I, yeah i was living there during that that time and i'm like man should i do that outside my apartment he's not going to come in a humble park but still seeing that and being such a bill murray fan and knowing that i mean everyone in that city loves him
1: i mean don't get me wrong we got john goodman st has john yeah. goodman yeah I'm but, proud of St. Louis, yeah.
0: but I mean, I think when you see anybody that's that proud and filled with joy, yeah um, I mean, it's just inspiring. I love the story where uh, the Murray moment where I talked about he and John Candy and oh like walking through walking through like that's that's probably my favorite one though of uh with his love of Chicago, well,
1: thanks so much for that Murray moment, uh, of course. Well, do we have uh? Do you have any final thoughts on uh, Better Off Dead before we close out the episode? I had one yeah. quick little kind of trivial thing, yeah. Um, not to get into too much controversy, but I know Savage Steve Holland did say that when they screened Better Off Dead, uh, he said John Cusack exited the theater after about 20 minutes and that he just hated the movie, and John Cusack told Savage Steve Holland that he would never be able to trust him as a director again, Yikes. which sucked for Savage Steve Holland because they were starting production on their next movie together. <laughs> the that, next day. <laughs> that uh, John Cusack had already signed a contract with the studio and everything was set in stone, so that had to be pretty you know, awkward and tough. Though uh, I have read that um, I guess it was something like maybe 10 years ago or something, supposedly. John, you know, John Cusack has done several Q and A's uh, for different movies. Uh, we actually got to uh, see him at a Q and A of Yeah, that was cool. Say anything, which was awesome. But uh, I guess at one of these Q and A's, not the one we were at, he did uh answer a question about Better Off Dead and he said that he didn't actually hate the movie, that it just didn't you know it came out differently than what he thought it would and it seemed like he sort of walked it back but he um, thought it was
0: going to be darker. I think. Yeah, as... and
1: he but he said that you know he he certainly hoped that the filmmaker didn't feel that way about it. And it's like, well, obviously, does <laughs> he's been went on record multiple times saying that you like walked out of a screening. But
0: it would be such a bummer to because they've had cast reunions like before screenings, and John Cusack's not there. It would be a bummer to be part of that cast and like feel like the star of the movie wasn't you know didn't, didn't appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And,
1: and I mean, you know, it's, it's gotta be, I mean, you know, a position of, of Savage Steve Holland where, you know, you, your first movie, you kick it off. It's not, doesn't really, it's not really a big hit. And then your next movie, which has a bigger budget, but you know, in a bigger cast and, you know, is going to be a, a more polished production and, and already you're like main, Actress says you know what I can't trust you as a director <laughs> that's just gotta not not be a way you want to start no. like a, a another movie that's off, got to
0: I think that really hurt yeah, Steve yeah Holland. it
1: seemed like from all interviews it seemed like he was pretty yeah. I think he was hurt over that he was hurt over some of the cri- criticisms of better Off Dead and I mean he you know he went on I mean he became a success in in kids television yeah. but it, it is kind of a bummer that he exited the 80s without I would have loved to seen you know, his progression is like uh, mm-hmm. doing more
0: black comedies. Um, but I, His dedication to absurdity is amazing because if you're going to do a, a movie like Better Off Dead, you can't waver. You've got to stick with it. And he and he does, if, if anything, going over the top. And and I think that, that a lot of reviewers, I mean, they missed it. Yeah. I, I, there's there's something to be said for a movie that's critically panned across the board. But you can you can pack a theater with this you know 30 years later like people love this movie that's got to really say something yeah
1: and i guess it makes sense that he went into kids television because a lot of kids like live action stuff is like absurdities you know And Mm -hmm. that's what kids you know i mean you can make stuff totally outlandish and wacky and you know that works for you know non-adult programming
0: and aside from the uh, multiple suicide attempts and the black comedy aspect of this movie, wouldn't you say kind of overall the way that he deals with teens is kind of more in a positive light? Like, I would, I would be if I had a eight year old, I'd be fine with them watching this movie. Yeah, you know? yeah, I think it's pretty positive. I think
1: not only is the movie like pretty clean, but it's actually for an eighties teen comedy. Uh, really, you know, kind of holds up, doesn't really does come it, off being like super offensive like a lot of movies. Yeah, where, where do we are.
0: put this on our offensive would,
1: You know, I would say this is like minus like suicide attempts. Um, outside mm-hmm. of that, there's really nothing like overtly offensive, at least that I, you know, yeah, can can see.
0: There's not really a gay joke, like a vague one, but it doesn't really count. Yeah. It's not like a fat joke, and these were these were the things that were softballs at this yeah. time in, in the 80s. Yeah, and, uh, I really appreciate his his vision and dedication to absurdity.
1: Yeah. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our talks on Better Off Dead. If you haven't seen it, you can stream it on Amazon, rent it. Yeah. So, coming up next, uh, I can't believe it, it's our two-year anniversary show.
0: I'm I, I love this podcast.
1: It's, it's kind of crazy amazing. me, have got it's 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 a 2 year anniversary show. It's, it's insane to me. It feels like we just started doing this like 2 weeks ago.
0: And how far we've come and that I don't know, we appreciate that you guys are still with us and we have more people listening to us all over the world and Justin I mean, I feel like you're my best friend. I know.
1: same you here. Know? I would have thought that, you know, it's it's crazy to think that like uh, two and a half something years ago, uh, you were just trying to, you know, I was just trying to trying to quickly, <laughs> quickly uh, close down and clean up after you spent like 12 hours working in and a you coffee were like, shop all day. And I was like, hey, you know, I'm following you around. Like, here's the thing. Like, I'm, I've got to say. You idea really were. For- <laughs> I
0: was totally closing. And you're like, let me talk to you about podcasts. And I'm like, yeah. I don't even know what yeah. a podcast I'm is. Like, no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Sure, I like movies, you like movies. But, uh,
1: you know, I mean, who would have thought?
0: But I will say that something between you and I, when it comes to movies, it's kind of great because we like a lot of the same movies for different reasons. Yes. And you know things about movies that I don't, and I know things about some types of movies that you don't, and I think that the partnership, I don't know, I just... um, if anything, this has just gotten stronger for yeah, me. No, but it works. Yeah. works.
1: Well, we're doing a very special film that we both love for a two year anniversary. Yeah. It's one of my personal favorite films of all time. That's Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas. So good. We already covered a lot of that with Casino, but we do not care. We're going to do Goodfellas. For I mean, our they're anniversary. different movies. They are different. <laughs> Uh, there's so much to talk about with that movie, so yeah. that's going to be exciting. Uh, so next up, Goodfellas for two-year anniversary. Then we'll be taking a one-month break to kind of recharge, and then we'll be kicking off season three with a special uh, mm-hmm. double feature that I think everybody's going to really dig. Yeah. So if you've been listening to us all along, thank you so much. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, thanks for listening. Please follow us on social media at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Also on YouTube. Don't push Pause Podcast. If you'd like to check out old episodes, uh, we have our full archive up on our website, don't push pause We also have a store there that you can check out. We have lots of cool items, merchandise, goodies. All that money goes to helping us keep producing a bigger and better podcast. If you'd like to reach us directly, you can always contact us at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com. Even if you just wanna send us an email to tell us what you're watching. We love hearing from people. So until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Thank you, guys.